In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. So there's an old joke I want to tell you guys. Once upon a time, there was a man who had a problem. His problem was unlike most problems you've had. You see, this man was convinced, he was absolutely convinced that he was dead. At first, his wife and his children dismissed these concerns. At first, they thought he was just being, being silly. But as the days turned to weeks and weeks turned to months, this man's family began to get very concerned. They would argue with him endlessly, desperately trying to prove to him that he, in fact, was not dead. Ultimately, their efforts failed, so they, they turned to family friends. But even the closest of this man's friends were unable to convince him. Each friend failed to demonstrate, to prove to this man that he wasn't dead. Then one day, this man's wife had an idea. One of the man's old golf buddies was a doctor. And the wife remembered just how fond of the doctor her husband was. She remembered that her husband respected him, had often taken his advice, and always spoke very pleasantly about him. So she made an appointment with the doctor, and while her husband was not pleased, he did agree to go. During the examination, the doctor pulled out all the stops. He summoned all of his medical knowledge and prowess. He called upon every argument he could possibly think of, but in the end, nothing the doctor said convinced the man. This man was still convinced he was dead. And then the doctor thought of something simple. The doctor began to argue that only living people could bleed. The doctor and the man debated this point for a short while, but amazingly, the man finally agreed that only living people bled. Immediately after the man agreed to this point, the doctor cut his arm with a scalpel and blood began to pour from his arm. Astonished, the man jumped up, holding his bleeding arm, and said out loud, Great Scott, what a discovery. I guess dead people bleed too. <laughs> I don't typically tell jokes in sermons, but I couldn't think of a better illustration for our gospel text than that joke. Here's why. Our gospel text is long, basically covering the entire chapter of John chapter 9. Inside of that chapter, quite a lot of things are happening. There's several different groups. There's a couple of different settings. But at its heart, our gospel text is about one thing. Those who can see and those who are blind. Those who can perceive and those who refuse. Look again at your gospel text, and let's quickly recap some of the things that's happened. So Jesus comes upon this man that's born blind, and he heals them. And this is the first big problem for the Pharisees. There's been a healing, and the Pharisees have to find out exactly how. So they bring in the, the man who was blind for questioning, and the man tells them what happened. He was blind, and now he isn't. And the thing that happened in between his blindness and his sight was Jesus. During the questioning, many of the Pharisees insist that whatever else this was, it can't be from God. The healing was done on the Sabbath, and God would never do such a thing. But as this man stood before them, looking them in their eyes, some found it hard to deny the evidence. Something or someone had healed this man he could see. There was no doubt of that. But maybe, maybe the man was lying. Maybe the reason he could see was that he had never been blind at all. If that were true, then there was no miracle to, to even speak of, just as they suspected. So what the Pharisees do is they call for the man's parents the Pharisees question his parents, and they ask if the man really was born blind, and the parents confirm this. 
Their son was indeed born blind and had been blind his entire life. Becoming frustrated, the Pharisees turned their questions back again to the man. And it's during that second questioning that something very odd happens. I want you to listen very closely to what happens next. The Pharisees demand that the formerly blind man give God the glory for this healing because they knew that the man Jesus who healed him was in fact a sinner. For the first time in the gospel text, it's clear that the Pharisees have already drawn a conclusion. The Pharisees tell the man, quit talking about this Jesus guy and just give God the glory. Do you hear the conclusion that they've drawn? If someone tells you not to praise Jesus, but instead to praise God, then they are telling you that Jesus and God bear no resemblance. That is the exact conclusion the Pharisees have drawn. The Pharisees have definitively said, whoever this Jesus guy is, he's a sinner and has nothing whatsoever to do with God. But the Pharisees have an immediate problem. The formerly blind man is standing right in front of them, and he doesn't see it that way at all. The man looks at the Pharisees and says something kind of like this. If Jesus really was a sinner, if this Jesus guy really didn't have anything at all to do with God, then surely God wouldn't listen to him, right? If he were this great sinner, then surely God would not have heeded his prayers for my eyes to be opened. And yet here I stand before you. A blind man is looking you in your eyes, and I'm telling you Jesus did it. Now you would think hearing this might give the Pharisees a moment's pause. Not the Pharisees. On hearing the man say this, they were greatly offended. They declared to him that this formerly blind man was altogether born in sins and yet dared to teach them. And in retaliation, the Pharisees cast him out of the synagogue. This effectively bans him from the entire Jewish community. His crime? Being healed of blindness and saying Jesus did it. Now thankfully the story doesn't end there. Because Jesus hears that this man had been cast out of the synagogue, and so Jesus goes to find him. When Jesus finds the man, he asks him this question. Do you believe in the Son of Man? The man responded by saying, And who is he, sir, that I might believe in him? Jesus then reveals that he is the Son of Man. In response, the formerly blind man worshipped Jesus. This phrase, the Son of Man, isn't just some throwaway title either. It's not replaceable with the term Son of God. In the book of Daniel chapter 7, we have a prophecy about the coming Messiah. Listen to this. Here's what Daniel 7 says. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all the people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. Jesus found this man, and he didn't claim to just be a healer. He didn't just claim to be a rabbi or even just a prophet. Jesus found this man and told him in no uncertain terms that he was the fulfillment of Daniel's vision. He is the living embodiment of what Daniel had seen 600 years before. Jesus was and is the Son of Man. The power and authority over this world and everyone in it were his. The power to free captives, the power to heal the blind, belonged to him. 
Now, you would think that the news would be the best news ever the Pharisees could hear, right? The Son of Man was here. Man, let's party. But as you know, that's not how they responded to Jesus at all. As the blind man worshipped at the feet of Jesus, Jesus says this, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. The Pharisees overhear this and they ask Jesus, Are we counted among the blind ones? And the way that Jesus answers them, I think, opens up the entire text for us. Jesus responded to the Pharisees' question, Are we accounted among the blind? by saying this, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. You see, the Pharisees should have been the very first ones waiting to behold the coming Messiah. They should have been the very first ones that recognized him, the first to see him when he appeared. They should have been the very first ones to see. But instead, they stand in front of Jesus with eyes wide open and yet are completely blind. The Pharisees are completely blind and they're looking the Messiah in his face and they're calling their own blindness true sight. What truth could be shared with the Pharisees that they didn't twist and distort? What display of power and authority could be shown to them that they didn't call demonic? What marvelous thing could be heard by them that they didn't call blasphemy? What evidence could ever be brought to bear that convinced the Pharisees that Jesus was the Son of Man, God in the flesh, without them condemning Jesus as a demon-possessed madman? You see, if you were convinced that Jesus is the epitome of evil, if you're convinced that his teachings are illegitimate, if you interpret everything he does as a blasphemy against God, then what could Jesus ever do or say to change your mind? If you've heard his words, if you saw him in his very being as an affront to God, then what words could be spoken to you? What beauty could you behold that changed your mind? Because there is nothing more true than the words of Jesus. There is nothing more beautiful than his person. And the Pharisees rejected both. The Pharisees saw him teach. They saw him live. They saw him perform miracle after miracle, yet they rejected all of it. They claimed to have true sight, a true perception of who Jesus was. And it was their opinion, Jesus was no Messiah. Jesus was an imposter, a charlatan. It was their opinion that Jesus was in league with the devil himself. And guys, that conclusion drawn by these blind Pharisees is the very definition of what constitutes a wrong statement. Calling God the devil is the most untrue thing a person could ever say. And yet the Pharisees called it true sight. They called it true understanding. The Pharisees were exactly like the man from this joke. He was convinced he was dead and nothing could convince him otherwise. Any evidence that you brought forward only served that conclusion. The man in our joke was hopelessly trapped in his delusion with little hope of escape. But the man's imprisonment was self-imposed. There were countless exits from this delusion. There were countless reasons for him to draw the same conclusion that he, in fact, was alive and not dead. But when you attribute all of the characteristics of life to death, then death is all you have. 
And I think this is exactly where the Pharisees found themselves. I think this is exactly where many find themselves today. There are people in our world that not only do wrong, but they adjust their vision of morality itself. They label good as evil and evil as good, and by doing so, they not only strike a deal with evil, they strike a deal with death itself. They've turned away from a life-giving God, and they've locked themselves into a way of life that systematically excludes him. And with God excluded from their life, so is the possibility of rescue. And I know you're thinking of a few people who might fit that description. <laughs> and, and maybe you're right. Maybe, maybe they are living lives opposed to God and aligned with evil and death. Maybe they are. But I know people who would say the same exact thing about us. I know people that are convinced that I have been deceived, that you were deceived this morning and were following the wrong path. I know people say that it's not they but we who were the blind ones. So how do we decide? How do we decide who's blind and who isn't? How can we know who is trapped in a delusion and who can truly see? Today's gospel text gives a clear answer to that. You see, the one who is at the feet of Jesus, the one who is constantly looking at Christ, that person sees, that person perceives. And just like the blind man in John 9, our sight isn't a testament to our intelligence. No, we see because Jesus has opened our eyes. We see because Jesus is the only one who brings light and truth to this dark and deceived world. Like a blind man, our sight isn't a badge of honor we wear that points to our superiority. Our sight isn't a platform from which we look down upon the world. No, our sight is a gift from God. It's a gift we possess, yes, but it is a gift that has been given to us so, to, so that a world that is trapped in darkness might see and believe. So that a world held captive by a delusion might have a chance of escape and finally perceive the truth. Because guys, you know this. Jesus is the only option. He is the only way. He is the only source of light in life. And it is only by checking back to Jesus over and over and over again. It's only by keeping our focus on Christ that we can be sure that we're standing alongside the blind man. A man that was born without sight, but a man who now sees because his eyes were opened. Amen.